restaurant. Lord, we come to you this morning as we always can come. Uh, in our prayer before the service, somebody said in our small group, although praying that it's so great that we can talk to you any moment of every day. That we always have your attention. Do not need to make an appointment. And now we come to you because we may and we come and we ask our Lord that this worship service will be to your glory. That this worship service will reflect the presence but also then the person of God Almighty. It is so tough sometimes to be in a church and to think that life is about way more than only the stuff that we are connected with during the week. To think about God for a moment. Who this God is, the fact that this God wants to be involved in our lives. To come to peace for a moment in front of you and just focus on not what's important to us, but what's important to you and your kingdom. Of course, that's our, our issue, Lord. We also, also always come with what is important to us, even in our prayers, and seldom understand what we say if we say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. So, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Will you please guide us through your words and the word I need to say, speak this morning, that we may grasp something of your, of your will for us, of your involvement in our lives. And thank you that you are here with us. We come to you because you came to us. Amen. Just a normal car. Uh, it's a, well, a Mustang. Uh, then you get into this car and you, and, and, and you turn the key and the radio plays. And it's great. And you try the electric windows and they go up and down. And it may have leather seats. And you sit quite comfortable in this car. And it's quite great. And then you turn the key a little bit further and then nothing happens. Nothing happens. And when you open the hood, you discover that there's no engine in this car. From the outside, you won't know it. From the outside, it looks completely normal like any other car, except when you open the hood, you discover there's nothing inside that makes this thing run. Now the question to me and to you today is, is it then still a car? Can you define this thing as a car if it can't take you from point A to point B? Because isn't that the purpose of a car, and that's to actually move you from point A to point B? Well, there's a different option. You know, without an engine, you can probably get one of these that can move you around a little bit. If I look at life and people living their life, I discover that people go about their business like we all do in a regular way. We get married, we have children, we have grandchildren, we have work that we can uh, do, we, we go for our run, for our walk, we, we live, we play. We, life around us seems to be okay. But is it? And that's the question that I'm asking myself then today. To be very honest, I think it's quite easy to live like there's no God. 
Because if you get really busy with life and with living, you do not attend church on a regular basis suddenly anymore. I promise you a month can pass, two months can pass without you really even thinking about God because you are busy with his life. Especially if you are not sick and something bad is happening to you, why do you need to pray? That's how a lot of people are living their lives now. And I'm extremely disappointed in a sense in how many people, Louise and I know, that were regular church attendees when we were younger, and now suddenly we discover they don't attend church anymore. They've suddenly sort of fallen away from the tradition to attend church, and now you ask them, so what now? And they say, well, it's okay, you know, we live our life, it's, it's okay. But still something is missing. And that's the problem, is that they don't always recognize it. You don't always see it. You see, if you sit in a car, you've got a radio playing, and you've got the windows working, you do not know that this thing is supposed to take you somewhere it's fun to play in and with. And that's the problem. A lot of people live their lives as if it's okay, and what they've got now is great. So what is the issue, Ferdy, that you're constantly telling me I am missing something? But I know they are missing something. Because if you look at the people around us, they are actually not doing that well. They are trying to pursue all kinds of things in this life that they think can provide health, health and happiness and joy and all of these things. But if you go below, below the surface and you actually look what's going on in the lives of people at home when they are in private, it's not always that great. I had to take a vehicle for an oil change, and it was close to the, the Florida Mall. And I can't sit and wait. So I normally go for a run. So I leave the car, take dry clothes that I keep in the car, and I went for a run. And I had to run all the way around. I ran around Florida Mall. <laughs> As I was on the, on the, on the north side of the, of the mall, I was running along the sidewalk, and there were two people walking a woman in front and a guy walking like two yards behind her. And I knew, hey, yeah, yeah, I need to slow down a bit and listen to this story. Man, she was upset with this guy. You could hear her like 15 yards away. I didn't need to be that close. But she was chewing this guy out, telling him how useless and worthless and whatever he is. You know, this guy, oh, it's okay, I'm so sorry. And I thought to me, myself, they are going for a walk, but they are not doing that great. And that's sort of the story that I find many ways when I look at the people that I work with. There's an evil. There's an unkindness. There's this struggle with who we are that is sort of in the center of the lives of so many people. I, I'm sorry, I must bore you with this now, but I almost on a weekly basis look at what's going maybe because I'm involved with the sheriff's office, um, I look at the statistics of how many people are not doing well and are dying of drug overdoses. Um, I do not know if you guys know this, but every 11 minutes, somebody commits suicide in our country. So during this worship service, the time that we are going to spend in church, four people are going to commit suicide. It's a shocking statistic, and I'm not even talking about drug overdoses now. And I always ask myself the question, so what must be happening in your mind that you run towards a substance that you think can help you 
and it doesn't always work that well for you. What must happen in your life that you get to the point of saying, I can't and I do not want to live anymore? You know, you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. And I think that's where the problem is. We live in a world that is constantly trying to convince us there is no God. We are living in a world where they say you don't need to care for God. We live in a world where we are actually doing everything in our power to take control of life and everything that we have. And that's, I think, part of the problem that we are facing. So in January 1563, these two guys, uh, Zacharias Ursinus and Caspar Ulivianus, they started to write the Heidelberg Confession that we now know so well, or catechism that we are busy with. And it's interesting that they were thinking about life in the 1600s or 15, yeah, 1600s or whatever, and it was not that different from today because people were not doing that well. And what we discovered last week, and that was a more problematic sermon that I had to preach, was the following, that sin is really difficult. Paul says this in Romans, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that there is a God that reveals Himself to us. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, maliceness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent. Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Paul ran out of words there, describing the world that we now live in in 2023. And Paul said the reason for this is the fact that we removed God. Now in the Heidelberg Catechism, there's this question. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, We have deserved temporal and eternal punishment. How may we escape this punishment, come again to grace, and be reconciled to God? Way back. If I look at my my story, it is as if everything seems okay on the outside, but on the inside there's something desperately missing. The thing that's desperately missing is God. But the fact that God is missing means that we, we took God out. We removed God, God from our lives. And the Bible calls that sin. The Bible tells me and you that the fact that we are trying to live without God is the opposite of God, of what God intended for us. That's an, an offense against God. It's not only I'm deciding to walk away. It's actually saying to the one who created me, I don't need you. The Bible tells me, God said, I will not allow this. If you choose a life without me, you will see and reap the consequences of a life without me. And if you look at the life that we now have here in America or anywhere else in the world where people are trying to live without God, we can see that the consequence of living a life without God is getting more and more severe. When you guys and I were younger, most people went to church. When you and I were younger, We had Bible at school, we had prayer at school, we had all kinds of stuff that had at least God in the midst of who we are. 
I could leave without locking my front door. My kids could leave their bicycles out in the yard. Our kids could play outside, and I didn't really care where they were because it was okay. Try it today. What changed? Why is it worse now than it was then? I have one answer. Because culture, humanity, overall people are trying their best to remove God. And the more we remove God, the more ethical code morality starts to fall apart. But is there a way back is the question that they are asking. You see, there needs to be an escape from this reality. And the reality is that if you live without God, your life will end without God. How can I get back to God? How can I come to grace again? Because the only place where you will find grace is with God. There is no grace really with Satan and this world. And how can I be reconnected with God in the way that God always intended me to be connected with Him? There's, there are the answers. God wills that His righteousness be satisfied. Therefore, payment in full must be made to, this, to His righteousness, either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves then? Because that's normally what we want to do. I can resolve this issue. God, I'm a great person. I'm okay. Just accept me back. By no means. By no means. I can do what is needed to find my way back to God. I cannot walk towards Him because I'm too broken. No, by no means. On the contrary, we increase our debt each day. Can any mere creature make this payment for us? No one. First of all, God does not want to punish any other creature for man's debt. Moreover, no mere creature can bear the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and redeem others from it then what kind of mediator or redeemer must we seek? One who is true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures. That is one who is at the same time true God. Who is this mediator who is at the same time true God and true and perfectly righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ who is freely given to us for complete redemption and righteousness. So, I've many times wondered about the creation of you and me. So, so God created Adam. So, so he placed Adam in the garden, and Adam is now there, and God saw that Adam was lonely. It's amazing that, that, that in, Adam is in the presence of God, but, but lonely. And God said, I'll give you a helper. And the helper that God gave Adam was a helper to help him to be what God always meant Adam to be. That was his wife. And that Eve should be also... Not only a helper for Adam, but Adam should be a helper for Eve to be what God intended them to be. So when God planned all of this, I, I, I'm thinking, so there's this meeting in heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's make a creature that we can relate to. And maybe God the Father with respect said, that's not going to be the wisest thing to do. Because to create them to relate with us, we need to give them something of ourselves, our image. And what is that thing that... We can give them that reflects us. Freedom. Freedom. Because if we want to create someone that we can relate to, then we need to give that person something that he or she can actually use to decide who we are in his or her life. That's freedom. Adam and Eve were created by God to look at God and decide if they want to allow God to be their God. And it's the same with us. 
We were born, and all of us, all of us have this decision: Am I going to allow God to be God, or am I going to be God myself? But did God know how risky this was? Did He know that it was possible that when He creates Adam and Eve, with the possibility of choosing against Him, that there will be then this consequence, this terrible consequence? I think God knew it. Because God is God. And last week we discovered that God did not create us with a fault in us or with a flaw in us. God created us and He placed us with Him in the garden. He said, just look at who I am and based on what you see and experience, I ask of you to accept me. Look at all the kind things that I'm surrounding you with. But God knew. And therefore He said to Adam and Eve, you touch that thing, that tree. You disobey what I ask of you to do, and actually you are touching my character. Because it's not about a tree, not about a fruit. It has to do with who God is. The Creator says, I'm giving you myself, and now you come and you reject me? How must I accept this rejection? God knew it could happen. Therefore, He said to Adam and Eve, you touch, you will die. And that death had to do with two things. It had to do with physical death, and it had to do with spiritual death. Because that's what sin does. When you walk away from God, God says, then your life will be different than it is with me, because I can't bless your life without me. How should I? Because you try to do it on your own, and therefore your life will be terrible. Because that's how it is without me. It's actually called hell to be without God. But you will also spiritually die because you are actually turning away from me and you disconnect yourself relationship-wise with me. And therefore, you are seeking loneliness. You are seeking heartache. You are seeking that thing that the world struggles with the most, depression, because you will lose your purpose. Your engine will be removed by yourself. But what then if they do? The Father said to the Son and the Holy Spirit, if they do go this route, are we going to divorce them? Are we going to leave them? That's what we do. If somebody really irritates me, I walk away and say, I'm done. I'm done. Countless of people will get divorced this week because they say, I'm done. I've had enough of this nonsense in my life. I want to live on my own without the involvement of this person who's destroying my life. God could easily say, I'm done. Can you divorce your children? You can't. You can't. You can say, I can't be in their presence anymore because of the harm they are causing, but you can never divorce a child because there's a biological connection between you and this person. God can't divorce His children. That's why He said, I will bring a solution. I will create a solution. There was no crisis in heaven. There was the answer. And the father probably said to the son, and my son, you may be the only one that needs to bring a resolve to what man and woman are deciding to do now. That's what happened in heaven. But father, maybe, the Lord said, Can't there be an animal? Can't there be something else? Can't we just say it's okay? 
Just forget about it. It's okay. As we have many times said to our own children when they mess up, it's okay. And God the Father said, it's my character that's at risk here. It's my person that's at risk here. You shall not eat from the garden and from the, from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you shall die. The serpent said, you will not die, Satan. You see, there's always this battle between good and evil, isn't it? It's between God and Satan, what's right, what's wrong. And God's character is at risk here. He can't just claim now and say, well, you know, the people are not doing that great, so whatever. A penalty. A punishment. It needs to be paid. This debt, this ransom that needs to be paid, a sacrifice. You see, we are guilty. We are found guilty before God. And God can't turn back on who He is. And He said, well, actually, I told you, you will die. So if you're not going to die, who's going to resolve this now? In the Old Testament, you will find that they brought some animal sacrifices, but those were temporary. They had to bring them time and time again. And then the book of Hebrews comes and tells us, but eventually God knew there should be only and can be only one solution to get us back in the garden, and that is for someone to die in our place. Someone who's fully man, but also then fully God. The only one that can connect the holiness of God with the brokenness of man, but who is perfectly holy and never broken, and that's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's why we have this complicated salvation story in the Bible. Because it's a story about us. It's a story about God trying to resolve the issue that we have created ourselves. And God says, I know you can't get back to me. Your arms are too short to reach me. And therefore, I will bring the answer through my son that you may learn from me my character. That I'm holy but also gracious but also loving. And without the step that God took towards us, we would have never understood the love of God completely. And there is no substitute answer. You know, when, when, when I hear, and I've heard this sadly on platforms that uh, our church, not our church congregation, but churches have had where people would stand on a platform and say, yeah, you know, we as Christians need to be very careful to say this, but one way back to God. When I hear that statement, it always breaks my heart because I would ask myself the question, so if there are ten doors that lead to heaven, why is one door covered in blood? Why is one door in the shape of a cross and the Son of God had to die on that cross that you and I may be restored back in our relationship with Him if all the other doors are just standing open? It can't be. Because it's way too complicated for us to come with a resolve that's not a biblical one. Not a godly one. This is a story about God and His children and God trying to find His, trying to get His children to come back to Him. The final question in the section then is, how do we know this? How can I stand in front of you this morning and say, this is what I believe with all my heart, my soul, and my mind, and for this I will die. I promise you, I will personally die for this story. Because I find this from the Holy Gospel, which God Himself revealed in the beginning of the Garden of Eden. Afterwards proclaimed through the Holy Patriarchs, patriarchs prophets, and foreshadowed through the sacrifices and the other rites of the Old Covenant. And finally fulfilled through his own well-beloved son. 
This book is not written by one person. Hundreds of people were involved in the writing of this book. This book consists of 66 different books. It's a library, actually, that you have here. This book has a golden thread that runs through it that is unexplainable because Isaiah didn't have Jeremiah when he wrote his, his, his letter or, or, his, or, his, or his, uh, what he wrote. Uh, you, you see, David didn't have what, what, what Amos wrote when Amos wrote, wrote his stuff many, many years after David. You, you see, it's not that people had all of these documentation lying around and they sat at the table and they started a research program or project and they wrote their story. They had nothing. Jeremiah sat and he started to write. Isaiah sat and he started to write. And I can continue to the Old Testament prophets. Matthew, he, he had something that Mark wrote uh, and a different source. Luke had Matthew and had Mark. John had all of those three Gospels, but then he wrote his own based on what he believed. But as you page from, from the Old Testament, Genesis, all the way through Revelation, you find this golden thread that is amazingly aligned. It is as if you can walk into a library and you take a book from this shelf and a book from that shelf and a book from this shelf, and you find a storyline that goes through all of these books, and these authors didn't know one another. What's the story? The story of a God that's the same. The story of God that's intervening in the lives of people that are the same. The story of God saying the same things over and over and over to people in different ages, through thousands of years, and saying, there's but one answer, and that's me. Why do you walk away from me as the only holy living God if I'm trying my best to call you back to me? Because your life without me is terrible. It's difficult. It's unnecessary, painful without me. And I brought you an answer. And the Old Testament, bring sacrifices, believe in me. The sacrifice will remind you of the seriousness of sin. And now in the New Testament, if you see a cross, it reminds you of the seriousness of sin. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Steve. I'm sorry, not that Steve, another Steve that's a board of elders. I'm going to tell you a story now. He told us at our board meeting on Monday evening, he did our um, meditation. He told us that when he was younger, he worked at Disney and he had his dream job and he enjoyed his life thoroughly. It was perfect. He had the life. Everything was fine. He said, but there was something missing, a melancholy, a heartache. Especially at night when he went to be alone at home. Until one day when he found Christ. And then it was gone. There is this gap in the lives of people without God. Superficially everything looks fine and fantastic and you laugh and you enjoy and you drink a glass of wine and everything is good. Until you are alone at home in bed. Then you realize, but who am I? Who really cares for me? Why am I really here? And what lies ahead for me in this life? Because eventually at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are. You are alone. You are alone in trying to deal with the reality of this world. Except 
If you can close your eye and you can say, I know I'm owned by the only holy living God because he's my dad. And then everything changes. Does the traffic disappear from I-4? <laughs> Absolutely not. Do people stop breaking in and kicking open your house, uh, your door of your house and steal your jewelry? No. Will your doctor every time when you see him be very impressed with your health? No, he will may find stuff that's not, not right. Will you turn on the TV and not see all kinds of stuff that breaks your heart? No, that will happen. But there's a difference. I don't need to face it alone anymore because I'm owned by God himself. And how do I know this? I know this because God proclaimed to me his love through his son Jesus Christ and he asked of me to accept this. And that's what my sermon is about next week. How do you and I actually then accept this? You and all, will, most of you will sit in church and say, yeah, I know it's through faith. What does it mean? Practically. How do I accept this? That you and I may know for certain, I'm a child of God, and whatever happens, I will stand before him and he will welcome me like his own after my death. That's what God wants you and I to have. Why do people reject this? Why do people reject this? Do you know how many cars drove by this building while I was preaching? Countless of cars. Maybe hundreds of cars. If you look through the window, you can see, look there. Look at all the cars driving by. How many of those people seek the answer you've just heard now? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But they go about their business, they go home, they go seeking something that will fill up their day, their week, their lives. And you and I know deep, deep down a loneliness. Because without God, you are empty. Without God, you are not on the road of your purpose that God wants you to be on. We have the answer. Let's go and share it. It's the only one. Amen.